Well, we're studying through the Gospel of Mark, one of the shortest of the four Gospels, and it's kind of the Reader's Digest version of the Gospels because Mark just goes from one thing to another, just a very action-packed book. But what we see is we study the Gospel of Mark, we see a lot about the miracles of Jesus. And we see a lot about the teachings of Jesus. Yes, he's always teaching something, always doing something, very active. But one other thing that we see is the conflict that he had with the religious leaders of his day. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? Jesus is the Son of God, and he comes to this earth, and he does not have conflict with Roman soldiers. He does not have conflict with sick people, lepers, and blind people, and things like that. He doesn't even have conflict with out-and-out wicked sinners throughout the town, the, the prostitutes and the, the uh, tax collectors and, and the people who are notorious sinners. They, they actually enjoyed being with Jesus. The only group of people that he really has open conflict with are the religious leaders. That's amazing, isn't it? And, and here's the thing about it. it. There's something in all of us, after we become a Christian, that kind of gets pulled in the direction of religion rather than in the direction of love like Jesus has. You just see it. You can see it in our own life. It'll happen. It's happened to you. It's happened to me. Once we become a Christian... God has saved us out of a life of sin and everything like that. In a little while, after we start huddling with other Christians, we start judging the people who aren't Christians. We start shaking our finger at people who are like we used to be, and we are judging rather than loving. And do you know that the greatest, the greatest uh, uh, criticism of the church today is not, because we love people too much. Nobody out in the community says, you know, I don't want to go to that church because they just love everybody there. In fact, they just, they, they come, they wash my clothes for me sometimes. They, uh, they wash my car and they won't even take any money. They just, they do all kinds of things. And when somebody's sick in the neighborhood, man, somebody from that church is right there. And they're not judging them. They're not criticizing them. And they can go into a place where people are drinking and cussing and all kinds of stuff. And they don't come in and start shaking their finger and shaming. They come in and say, is there some way we can help you here? Is there some way that we can meet needs in your life? No church gets criticized for being too kind. No church gets criticized for being too loving and too helpful in the community. And you know one reason no church gets criticized for that is because not many churches do that. <laughs> yeah, what, what do churches get criticized for? They get criticized for being too, quote, religious you're just oh you think you're better than us you're always looking down your self-righteous nose judging us condemning us complaining about us criticizing us that's what gives people a bad name and by the way one of the young people one of the kids asked me a couple of weeks ago in our ask the pastor night on wednesday night said why did the people not like jesus 
And I thought, well, that's a good question. In fact, they ask great questions. In fact, they ask hard questions. And, uh, and they ask some I can't answer. <clears throat> but uh, they said, uh, I said, well, the reason people didn't like Jesus was because he revealed their hypocrisy. He revealed their phoniness. He revealed the fact that they were pretending to be right with God, little halos shining and everything like that, but he looked into their heart and he said, I don't see anything there but filth and dirt and and, and, and hatefulness and sin said you've cleaned up the outside oh you look so pretty and clean on the outside in fact he said you're like a bunch of whitewashed tombs can you imagine you go out if you go to Israel today you'll see them you'll see those whited sepulchers they shine them up man they make them so pretty and you look at it and say wow look at that That's beautiful yeah you go lift the lid and whoo, what's inside stinks because what's inside is rotten bones. It's dead men's bones. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, by the way, the only people he wasn't nice to. He said, you bunch of snakes, you brood of vipers. He said, you will go to the end of the earth to make a disciple. And then once you've made him, you make him a seven times more a child of hell. Whoa. Good gracious. And he said, what you're like is whitewashed sepulchers. You're all pretty and clean on the outside, but on the inside is just dead, rotten bones. Wow. Now, that's not the way to make friends. You go into churches today and you start revealing people's hypocrisy, and uh, you'll have some folks that will just not like you very much. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus never, ever, ever, ever came to this earth to start a religion. He does, in fact, he absolutely despises religion. Because religion is human attempt to be self-righteous enough by keeping certain rituals and certain regulations and certain rules, by keeping those so well that hopefully when you die, God is going to say, well, you made an 85 and 65 is passing, so come on in, you know. doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, if you're going to get to heaven by obedience and by religion, a passing grade is 100. 100. Jesus said, be perfect. If you're going to get to heaven by, by, by religion, then all you have to do is keep all the law and never break one law one time, and I'll let you into heaven. Well, I've already broken one this morning. So I... I know you're wondering which one it was. Well, I... <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to tell you. But, uh, but, but we, we, we're not perfect, folks. We're not going to make it if we get, try to get there by religion. 
And so Jesus came to say, look, there's really one law. There's one law. And it's the law of love. What is the great command? Somebody asked Jesus one time, said, well, what is the great commandment? And Jesus kind of looked at him like, duh, you should know. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor like you love yourself. So that's all of the law, Jesus said, is summed up. The Apostle Paul said all the law is summed up in that one commandment, love, love. And uh, you can't legislate that, by the way. You can't, you can't force that. You can't make that happen. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And listen, to the degree that you know and believe and understand and delight in the fact that he loves you when you didn't deserve it. To that degree, you will love him, but it won't stop there. To that same degree, you'll love other people. You'll look around, and you won't be asking the question, who deserves it? You'll be asking the question, who needs it? Who needs it? And when God looked at us, at all of our sin, he didn't say, who deserves it? Or he would have gotten an answer, nobody. But he looked and said, who needs it? And he got the answer, everybody. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's the gospel, folks. And that's what God wants to do in your heart and my heart. So I want us to read a passage I hadn't read my text yet, have I? Uh, in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, kind of a longer passage than we usually have, but just follow along and make sure you understand it as we go along with this background, with this understanding that Jesus despises religion. I went to a church, pastor of a church in uh, Halls, Tennessee. A man across the street came over to meet me and says, Are you new, the new preacher in town, is that right? I said, Yes, I am. He said, well, I just want you to know, I don't like religion. And I grabbed him, and I said, oh, praise the Lord. I said, I don't either. I said, man, we'll be good friends. I said, I, in fact, I hate religion. He jumped back away from me like maybe he thought I was the new atheist in town or something like that. And he said, well, I, I thought you was the new preacher. I said, I am, but I tell you, I hate religion. And I said, the reason I hate it is because Jesus hated it. I said, in fact, it was religious folks that had him crucified. I said, the sinful folks in town, they welcomed him. They, they were glad to be around him. The common people, the Bible says, heard him gladly. It was the religious people that couldn't stand him. All right, so you got that? Okay. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, that is to say, unwashed hands, 
they found fault. Now, I just need to say something here. Uh, this doesn't mean that they just forgot to wash their hands like I used to do when I was a kid. And has this ever happened at y'all's house? You know, you get ready to sit down to eat, and uh, Elizabeth, you say, kids, have you washed your hands? You do that sometimes? Yeah. My mother used to do that a lot. And, uh, uh, but that's not what this is talking about. They had, now I don't want to take a lot of time here, so we'll just give you the, back when, when the children of Israel went into exile, when they were defeated by the Babylonians, went into exile, while they were in exile for those 70 years, they began to ask the question, why, why did God let this happen to us? And the answer they came up with is, well, because we weren't keeping his law. And so they said, well, you know what? We need to really focus on how we can keep God's law so this won't happen to us again. So they had people called scribes. Ezra was one of them. And they would take the law and they would write out the law and then they would write in addition to the Scripture, they would write their idea of what it meant to keep that law. And they would add to it. And so over a period of time, uh, uh, something called the Gemara and something called the Mishnah was all put together with just huge, thick books. And then all of it combined made up what's called the Talmud. And it's, it's almost a commentary on the law. But in this, they would try to explain what it meant And so they took this verse that talks about how that the priests were to wash themselves before they went into the tabernacle or the temple to serve the Lord. And they said, well, if the priests ought to do it, we ought to all do it. And so then they defined what it meant to wash. And they had this elaborate system of how that, first of all, you had to hold your hands up this way. Water had to be poured on them. Then you had to use fresh water. And then you had to hold your hands this way. And it had to be poured on them. Then you had to hold them down this way. It had to be poured on it so the water could drip off. And then you were ceremonially clean, and now you could eat your food. Well, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, guys, dig in. You know, here's some here's food. Just help yourself. Let's eat. And they weren't washing their hands the way the religious people did. And so the, they found fault with them. They began to criticize them. Like sometimes we tend to do when we go out and see people not doing things the way religiously that we've defined it. You know, say, well, this is the way you ought to do it. This is the way you ought to do it. And, and you know how long it takes to, to make a tradition, a religious tradition? Not long. I, when I was pastoring here at Ovilla, we... Uh, I said, when I first went there, I said, well, let's don't take the offering in the middle of the service. I don't have any opposition to that, but I didn't have any opposition. I said, let's, let's take it at the end of the service. And let's go ahead and let's have the worship, let's have the sermon, and then let's let the people bring their offerings as a, a, a confirmation of praise and worship for the service that day. And so we began to do it that way. We did it that way for a couple of years. One of the kids in our church went off, visited a grandmother or somebody, went to another church, 
He came back. He said, they don't do it right at that church. I said, what do you mean? He said, they don't even take the offering right. So they take the offering right in the middle of the sermon, just I'm right in the middle of the service, just before the sermon. And he was all upset about it. I said, well, now, wait a minute. Nowhere in the Bible does it say where you take the offering. As a matter of fact, some churches don't even take an offering. Now, I know some of you say, well, where is that church? I want to go there. Uh, some churches just have a box sitting out in the foyer, and as people just give as they want to give. One uh, one church you know, had a, a prayer room, and in the prayer room they had a love gift box, they call it. And they said, we don't want anybody to ever give anything until, first of all, you've given yourself. So you go into the prayer room. You, I thought, that's good. But you say, well, which one's the right way? See, that's what we like to ask, isn't it? Yeah, we like to say, well, well which one's right? None of them are wrong, and none of them are just exactly right. All of them are just preference. But, but once you start making a law, once you start saying it's got to be done this way, then you can stand on your little holy platform and you can look down your nose at everybody else and criticize everybody else because they don't do it like you do. So they were looking at Jesus and they were saying uh, 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 they, they, they don't uh, wash their hands. And then the next, go ahead, that's right. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, they do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. In other words, they've got to do it just the way they've been taught to do it religiously. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat anywhere unless they wash. And, and, they, and there are many other things which they've received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels and couches. And if, you, if you go and look at the Talmud, you'll get a list of all this stuff. It's ridiculous. Just ridiculous, actually. Uh, sorry, Talmud. Uh, and then uh, verse 6, uh, that, And he answered and said to them, See, this is what got Jesus in trouble. They're, they're, they're criticizing all this. And Jesus said, you know, Isaiah really nailed it when he said this. Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, that is their outward actions, but their heart is far from me. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Jesus says, uh, you know, Isaiah talked about this long, long ago, 800 years ago. He talked about how that the people of his day, they did all the external rituals, but they didn't love me. They didn't love me. And in vain they worshiped me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They get up and say, okay, here, here's the way it's supposed to be. doesn't have anything to do with love. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. So oh, you've just, you're all hung up on this external stuff. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. 
Your tradition is more important to you than the commandment of God. For Moses said, and then he gives them an illustration. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. He said, that, that's right there in the Bible. So how are you going to get around that? And then he explains how they do it. But you say, well, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have for me is korban. That is, it's a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. Now, again, just a little word of explanation here. Isn't it funny how we always find uh, what they call loopholes? Yeah, we always find loopholes. When God tells us to do something, we say, well, let's see. How can, I, how can I act like I'm obeying it, but I don't really obey it? And so they had this, this uh, tradition that if, a, if a, a man said, now, I'm dedicating all my money to God. So it's God's money. So mom and dad, sorry, I can't help you out. I know you're old. I know you don't have money. I know you, 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 you really have some need. But, you know... All my money, I've, it's Corban. It, it's, it's, I've dedicated it to God. So I just can't help you. And, uh, oh, my goodness, these, uh, these Pharisees, they found all kinds of ways to, to get around loving their parents, loving their neighbor, loving sinners, loving one another. And before we get too hard on them, let's... Turn the mirror around a little bit and say, uh, do we ever do that? Do we ever, do we ever use religious excuses as to why we can't genuinely love people who really need the love of God? And I think we do. I think that, that, that we do that. Well, let's uh, go ahead and I'll just finish this up. Uh, and he said to them, "You oh, let's see. Well, that was it. Many other such things you do. I just finished it up, didn't I? So, here was the, always the tension. Always the tension. God is saying, I want you to love me. I want your heart. I don't, I don't look at, at your actions mainly. I look at your heart. Did you know? that a lot of times you can do something <clears throat> that may even not look, it, it, it may not look valuable, but if it's done out of a heart of love, God says, that's what I want. <clears throat> when my brother and I were little boys, I was about six and he was three, our mother got sick. She had the flu. And uh, we were sad about her being sick and everything like that. So we said, hey, <clears throat> let's go get her some flowers. And so we went out, had our little old short pants on, barefooted and everything. And uh, we saw some pretty little yellow flowers out across the field. So we start traipsing across that field to go get her some flowers. They were just bitter weeds, I think, anyway. They, were, they weren't really flowers. They were just weeds, but they were yellow. And... Uh, so we're going there, and ouch, oh, those briars cutting our legs and scratching us up, and we're about halfway across and said, man, I, this is terrible. Well, I said, well, we're already nearly there, so we got on over there. We picked a handful of those weeds, and 
went back, scratching up our legs, cutting our legs, and we went into my mother's where she was on the bed, and we said, Mama, we, we brought you some flowers. And we handed those flowers, and she sat up in bed and looked down at our legs. They were bleeding. They were just, just really just scratched up, cut up, really bleeding. <clears throat> and she just started crying. And we said, do you not like those flowers? We thought, man, we got the wrong kind. She said, oh, I will treasure these flowers. She said, look at your legs, boys. She said, where did you get these flowers? We told her. She said, you walked out across the briar patch? That didn't say much about our intelligence, but it said a lot about our heart. Amen. And she said, I, I, just, I just can't believe it. And she put them in some water and, and just kept them for several days. And, and I didn't, we didn't understand it at the time, but I look back on it now, and, and I understand that what, what that said to her wasn't that we knew much about flowers. It wasn't that we knew much about much. It was that we loved her, that we loved her, and that meant so much to her. And you know what? Sometimes as Christians, we might do some kind of goofy things. We might do some out-of-the-box kind of things, some things that don't look very religious at all. And God says, I know your heart. I treasure that. I, I just love the way you love me. And that's what he wants from us. He doesn't want to, I mean, you know, you say, well, are you saying we shouldn't go to church, read our Bible? No, I, that's all great. That's all wonderful. But here's the thing. You can do all those things and have a heart full of criticism and anger and malice and bitterness and all that kind of stuff. And it's not the things you do. It's what's in your heart. It's the why you do them. And, you know, somebody say to me, you know, well, I missed church last Sunday because I had a friend that was sick, and, and uh, I went over to be with him and help him. I say, hallelujah, praise God. That's what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about being in church every time we have church. I mean, Jesus talked about a man who fell among thieves and was beat up and thrown over in a ditch, and a Levite and a priest, a preacher and a deacon, you might say, came walking by, saw him in the ditch and said, well, you know, I, I'm on my way to church. I don't have time to stop and help you. I might, might get my, my Sunday clothes dirty or something like that. And then a Samaritan comes along, and he gets down in there in the mud with this guy and picks him up and gets blood and mud all over his clothes, puts him on his own a donkey, takes him to an inn and says, look, I'll pay the price. I'll pay whatever it costs. You take care of this guy. I want to tell you, that's what Jesus did. I tell you, the world would pass us by when we were down in the mud. Jesus comes along. He said, look, I will lift you up and I'll pay the price and take care of the debt. But he says, that's what I want you to do. That's what the church is all about. We're not about, we're not about programs and, 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 and budgets. All those things are necessary. But that's not what we're about. We are about making disciples and training them to make disciples. 
We are about being a family of Jesus followers who is asking the question, what's the need? Where is the need? How can I help? What can I give? What do I need to do to meet needs? And religion asks the question, what can you do to satisfy me? Christianity, love, asks the question, what can I do to meet the needs in your life? Now, that was the introduction to my message. And I'm going to preach the message next Sunday, okay? Uh, I'm going to ask this question. What dulls our affection for God? What, what are the things in life that make us stop loving like God wants us to love? And then I'm going to ask the question, how do we recover that? And every, everyone, I've been, I've been doing a series of devotionals the last week on revival. Revival. And uh, I think the greatest need in our church and in the churches across America is revival. For, for us to all fall in love with Jesus again in a deeper way than we ever have. And uh, so the message next Sunday is taking up right here this idea that God wants our heart. He wants our love. He wants us to love him. And by loving him, we show it by the way we love other people. Jesus said, if a man says he loves God and he doesn't love his brother, he's just talking. He's not, that's not true. You don't love God and hate people. If you love God, you love people. And whatever is born of God loves, loves, because God is love. We can't love him and hate what he loves. You see? And so the question is, how do, how do we lose that? Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember you just were so <sighs> deeply in love with Jesus? And then you got about around a bunch of Christians. <laughs> a lot of times that'll happen. You know, we get around a bunch of other people, and next thing we know, we're, we're, we're becoming religious rather than relational and we're we're beginning to love looking good rather than just love the good and uh so how do we lose it how do we what dulls that affection then what can we do to recover it you be thinking about that this next week and uh and remind me that's what i'm preaching on next sunday okay and uh and that's what I'll try to I'll try to pick that. Whoa, no wait, that's Mother's Day, isn't it? I already have a sermon for Mother's Day. Y'all gonna have to come two Sundays in a row now. It'll be week after next that I finish this. Okay, well, works that way sometimes. Um,
I do hope you'll come next Sunday. God's given me a real special message for Mother's Day. I'm excited about bringing it next Sunday. So bring your mothers if you still have a mother alive. And uh, all right, here's the here's the closing question. Uh, do you want to really, really be pleasing in your Christian life to to your heavenly Father? If you do, what we're doing here this morning doesn't have anything to do with that. Now, it doesn't mean that it's against that, but people could go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and never miss a Sunday for five years and have a heart just full of filth and bitterness and anger. You could memorize Scripture. One of the one of the most hateful, most prejudiced men I ever knew. One of the most the men who hated people of color more than anybody I've ever met. I spent a night with him one time in his home, and he quoted so much scripture. Oh, he just boasted about how much scripture he knew. How he had memorized whole books of the Bible. He had memorized whole chapters of the Bible. He, I left thinking, how sad, how sad. Got a head full of Scripture and a heart full of sin, and you can do that. So God is aiming at our heart. God said through Samuel the prophet that God does not look on man the way man looks on man. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And look, God's looking at my heart today. I was looking at my heart today. And he knows, he, he knows and I know that I can get up and do good things, religious things, and not have a heart that is beating in love for him. I don't want that to happen. I'd much rather be a, a failure before men and a passionate lover of Jesus than to be a well accepted by men and have a heart that's cold toward God. It doesn't have to be either or. You can do both. But the call today is for us to get our focus on loving Him and loving them. Loving him, loving them. And if we're not doing that, then we can substitute just a little religious huddle for loving God. It's what the Pharisees did. Let's pray. God, help us. God, help us, help us, help us. Not to be phonies. Lord, help us. Not to be concerned so much with what we look like and what other people think about us. But help us to be concerned with what you see in us. Lord, help our heart to burn passionately toward you. 
Help us to love you, to really love you because you first loved us. And then help us to let that love that you pour into us spill out all around us so that our neighbors and the people in our community, the people that, that don't do things the way we do, feel loved by us and where they know that our heart is for you and for them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.